One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. and welcome back to another episode of the Squiggly Careers podcast. I am Helen and I'm not joined with my normal co-host. I should be disappointed, but I'm actually quite excited. I'm joined, very excited to have Emma Barnett on the podcast. Hello, Emma. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. And just so that you know, Emma and I were just chatting before we started and she said there might be some background noise. Maybe we should tell people where we are. So to set a bit of a scene, we are in a pod, I think is the the technical term. We're doing a podcast in a pod. Oh, yes. At the BBC. Okay, brilliant. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so we... uh, uh, BBC Broadcasting House. I had a funny moment when I came in here. So um, I brought my recording equipment along to interview Emma today, which meant I've got everything in a suitcase. And as I was coming through the revolving doors, I got stuck in the revolving doors at the entrance and a man was like looking at me. You can tell he just wanted to laugh at me and then broke into it. So yeah, it's a lovely smooth start to today. Those doors eat people. I know. I've had shoes get caught in them before. It's just nothing. I, I like it when you can see one of the doors that just open and I'm like, I'll go that one. But there wasn't. No. Yeah, they're there. Got, we I like got to make it really open and friendly here at the yeah. BBC. <laughs> yeah, I'll just make you feel nervous before you yeah, come exactly. in. Exactly. Brilliant. So today we are not talking about revolving doors or, or meeting rooms. We are going to talk about periods, everybody. I guess in case maybe you don't know who Emma is, and you should, everybody, I'm going to give you loads of links so you can stalk Emma in the nicest most legal sense yes. after this podcast. I'll do that. Emma is a journalist, broadcaster and an author of a book I really, really enjoyed. I've read it twice, once without a pen, just for the joy of reading and once with a pen because I um, there's a quote I like that you've never really read a book unless you've left notes in the margin. So, I mean, I've got notes and quotes all over this book and post-it notes <laughs> all, all over it. And the book is called It's About Bloody Time, period. In your own words, what's the book about, Emma, and why did you write it? So a lot of people would say, I get one every month. Why do I need to read a whole book about it? And you don't need to. But I think the best way of putting it together is to say it's a book of largely untold stories by women and about women, which links to their period and what happens to them each month or different feelings it gives them or funny moments that they've got themselves into, whether that's period sex with a guy they don't know, through to the tampon getting stuck, through to quite serious things like having a condition like I did that I didn't know I had called endometriosis, through to periods being great relief because you're not pregnant, through to them being great sadnesses because you are trying to get pregnant and you're not pregnant. Mm. There's loads of things about our periods that have never been written or said before because they have remained so stubbornly taboo. And I also explore the history of that taboo. And really, for me, the book, the more I spoke to women and interviewed women for it, and it was during my maternity leave, worst described job in the world because there's no leave. But during that time, I kept learning things and thinking about things differently. And I think the joy of writing and the joy of broadcasting and podcasting specifically, actually, is to make you think anew about something that is in your life Mm. and that you've never stopped to consider and you've never thought, are my reactions to do with this 
normal. And if guys had periods, would we even have to pay for tampons? Yeah. That's not an attack on men. Why should men care about periods? But it's looking at the world around you and realising perhaps you weren't thought of in the design for it as well. It's so funny. Since I've read the book, I've become almost like more conscious of it to the point of, oh, I didn't realise I just automatically hid this. Or one bit that really resonated with me in the book was the walk from like your desk to the bathroom when you're on your period and you put like a tampon in like a special dainty bag, I think it's to hide it because you can't, I don't know, you can't carry a tampon in your hand. Or the sleeve smuggle. (laughs) The sleeve, Just that little cheeky pad or tampon or whatever you use. There were many moments in the book when I was slightly, you know, smiling because it was funny, but also going, I mean, why, Helen? Why? Why? But it's... it's If it was random, if you literally had a period once in your life, Mm. fair play, or maybe twice... But it's so regular yeah. for a lot of people. I know people have issues where it doesn't turn up. And, you know, if you're suffering with any sort of disorder, it might not come for a while. I, I put, but putting that all to one side, by and large, women who are well-fed have a period yes. regularly. And period. Full stop. End That's off. it. So it should be quite a normal experience. Yes. And yet it's not. And, and you can be charged £3 for a massive tampon that comes out of an old dirty machine in the middle of a public toilet it's a nonsense I was at um, a lovely place doing an event this morning called Fora I will shout out for them because it's an event space in London and they had organic bamboo like tampons and pads for free in the toilets and I was like oh Emma would like that I I would (laughs) and and I'm sure that will not give you a rash it sounds lovely (laughs) (laughs) I'll move on from um, rashes to the workplace then so moving from sort of I think there's a quote I liked about uh, there's a bit of a whiff of Victorian England around periods moving on from that gen to periods at work and the workplace. Why do we need to care about it in a work context? How does it affect people that we're not comfortable talking about it and doing the sleeve smuggle? Does it really matter at work? The whole thing for me isn't that you have to talk about your period. It's more that you shouldn't be in a situation where you don't feel you can. So I think we did a study at Five Live where I do my, my daily radio show And we had a a confession booth as well where people came and spoke to me in the workplace about their periods and things they'd never said before. It happened to be in a workplace because that was literally where we could get some women together. It was in Manchester in a big office. And I think what's so interesting is the idea that women are more comfortable saying they've got the shits Mm. to their boss. They're like, oh, I've got a really dicky tummy. I've got a bad stomach. I can't stop going to the toilet. Then saying they have difficulty, for instance, that month with their period. Mm -hmm which may mean they can work at home. They just might need to have a hot water bottle. It may mean they need a hot water bottle at their desk. It may mean they just need the window open Mm. for a few minutes. You may be very fortunate and not feel any differently at all on your period, but the roots of this are really interesting to look at, which is that when women fought their way into the workplace and are still fighting their way in, in lots of ways, but when they first, those pioneers upon which you and I can owe our careers to... I get it. They didn't mention our periods mm. because why would you badge something up that made you different? It's bad enough we get pregnant. It's bad enough we need to go and take some time to, I know, reproduce the next generation. Mm-hmm. Maternity leave is its one of the best in the UK in the world. Not the record for coming back after work necessarily. Yeah. I, I can't talk to that, but at least we offer a proper maternity leave. But periods are something that are different and they do make us at times feel a little bit different. All I mean by the ability to be open about your period is that I don't think it's right or normal to feel it's more comfortable to pretend you have diarrhoea Mm -hmm. than your period. The other thing I would say is it's been used as a thing against us, like we're irrational, we can't cope. 
we aren't able to make decisions. May I also remind people that we work until we're nine months pregnant. So we work with an entire other being inside us. We do exactly the same thing usually as we were doing before. We're probably even doing it a bit quicker because maybe we need to sit down or go to the toilet every few minutes. Yeah. And I read in Wired magazine that being pregnant is like running an ultra marathon every day inside your own body. So my point is anyone who thinks a woman will be less than because of her bodily function needs to just look to that for evidence. Mm. Because it's all very well going on about maternity leave. We work while we're pregnant, most of us, up until the wire. Yeah. So for me, I just don't like the fact that sanitary products are not available in workplaces like loo rolls and the way that we can clean ourselves, like free soap. I think that needs to change ASAP. I don't think we should have to pay for our periods because it is a bodily function. And when they mandated soap and loo roll and all of that, whenever hygiene laws came in, if if men had periods, that would have been part of it. I think men would brag about periods. I'm a three-pad kind of guy, is what <laughs> Gloria Steinem said in her wonderful 1978 essay about it. And I think socially we've been so used to hiding them for lots of different reasons, which I go into, but that we can just own them now. Mm. And they're part of our experience and our identity. Like, even if you don't have pain, even if you don't feel ill on your period, when you go and change a tampon, it can take a bit longer. Yeah. Right? We're not just doing our hair in there. You can be like one of my friends who I quote in the book, she had an abattoir situation, right? You know, she was going oh, from yeah. one meeting to another. She was in the airport toilet. She somehow managed to pull the tampon out at the exact point the blood just rushed out. I mean, it was all over her legs. Yeah. And it was during the summer. So at least she wasn't all over material so she could clean her legs. But she took a long time to get to the next meeting. Mm. I'm not saying she needs to walk in and say, guys, I was just having a bit of an issue there. Yeah. But it is annoying. Yeah, and, and you have to kind of keep it very hidden yeah. all the time. And if you have a leak or an accident, it's like you're not not denying it to yourself, but you feel like you have to pretend that that's not, not happening or not part of the reality. I, I just think we need to normalise it and get to that place where it is normal. And we've seen in the police, for instance, have got a menopause policy now. And I'm not saying that you need a specific policy. I think it's baked into our experience of work and sick leave and all of that. But what I am saying is... There's a woman who never spoken to anyone about her periods who I interviewed in her 50s who sits on plastic bags still because yeah, she has really heavy flow. She could still work. Her yeah. brain's amazing. But her lower half is bleeding like yeah. a murder scene. And she sits on plastic bags when she's going to the airport to commute for work. That stuck with me a lot, actually, the plastic bag story. And then the other one that really stuck with me from the book was about the woman that was fired for kind of leaking on a chair. I think she had two accidents and then she was fired from it. And you think, where is the protection for that person? That's If they were sick, they probably wouldn't have been fired in quite the same way. She's but there was just something... seen as dirty. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of myths about, I get, like, blood were taught from a young age, dangerous. Mm. I get all of that. Mm -hmm. But period blood's not dangerous blood. Period blood's natural blood. It's what's meant to be happening. It's how we have the next generation. Yeah. Even if you don't want to have one, you have to. It's actually the cleanest blood because it's fresh blood. It's coming out of you for a reason, unless you have things like endometriosis. Yeah. There's so many myths that make you then feel the dirty one. And in the case of the woman you're talking about, she worked in a call centre for 911, Alicia Coleman, she's called. And she was warned. She was given a warning the first time it happened because she had dirtied her seats. Mm. 
reading the book got me thinking quite a lot about shame and how mixed up with kind of shame and how how much this causes shame. And I really like Brené Brown's work on shame. And there was a quote that I a quote that I wrote in the book that really stuck with me. Brené Brown's quote, but she said, "If you put shame in a petri dish, it needs three ingredients to grow exponentially: secrecy, silence, and judgment." And I was like, "Oh my gosh." We've, we've put periods in a petri dish and yeah. surrounded it with those three things and that's what's happening. She helpfully also says, second point of the quote, if you douse it with empathy, it can't survive. Mm. And I thought that was also quite a sort of moving on to, okay, if that's the reality of the culture of periods is it's slightly mired in some kind of shame and in the workplace we're having to hide it and be secretive and maybe it's a bit judged in different places. What can women and men and just generally in the workplace what can we do what should we do so that there's less of this judgment secrecy how do we create environments that feel safe like safe to have a period basically or safe to talk about it at least i mean i think really basic stuff i think that we may be seeing a change in the law anyway where public spaces have to provide free products but if you are a business that can afford to do free beers on a friday yes free sanitary towels and products in the loo, moon cups, whatever people want. You know, you only have to give someone one moon cup, apparently. I've, I don't use them, but yeah. others tell me that they are very eco and good. And so I think you could do that. I think you could make sure that the sanitary towel bins in the toilet, I'm just going into detail here, don't touch your thigh uh, <laughs> yeah. and aren't filthy and actually empty. work because yeah. you'd empty a nappy bin for a child. So I think that would be nice. The sort of good environment to have a period is mainly going to be in the toilet. If you want to have a hot water bottle on you at your desk, you should create an environment where that's okay Mm -hmm. and you're not made to be seen as weak or feel... Because people all the time say, I've got a migraine or I've got a headache and they go and lie in a dark room or not lie, but, you know, go off for a bit. Smokers go and have a fag outside regularly. Like, just other forms of behaviour that may help you. And I think the joke not being on the woman, the woman can make a joke. My God, periods can be funny. Yeah. But I think not looking terrified, you know, most men have lived with women, not least their mothers. Yeah. From whence they hail is the period. So it's like at what point does it become something you mock and feel awkward about? And I think, I just think a reality that it's just okay to have a period and feel a bit crap without thinking you're going to lose your job. Now... I'm not a fan of everybody's identity informing their work because most people don't do jobs like mine, right, where, you know, I tell stories for a living, I help people tell their stories and I also help people tell stories and then see if they're true or not in the case of politicians and other public officials who may want to tell a certain story that might not be the whole story. But the point is most people don't have an environment like let's say you stack shelves in a, in a yep. shop or you work on a factory floor or you even just work in a, a regular retail space. It's not like you need to have a deep and meaningful the whole time. It's just about creating an environment where people feel they can be a good version of themselves. So yep. I'm not saying I, I need to come in and describe to you what my f- flow is like that yep. day. Or wear a badge that says I'm on my period. Exactly. It's just if I, have, if I feel like I want to talk about it, yeah. I feel like I could say something about also, it. Also, just being aware that you may be taking longer in the loo and that not being a big deal. Mm-hmm. As in, I don't mean anyone needs to say anything about that per se, but it's a well-known thing amongst women, you know, that very, very small secret society of women, a.k.a. half the world, <laughs> yes. um, that you get the runs on your period. Yeah. Right? The first day is fucking grim down there. <laughs> it's like Mordor. It doesn't matter who you are or what your condition's like. 
it gets a bit it's not fruity, fun. Yeah. right? And that's the point. You might just need to sit for a bit longer. Yeah. And let me tell you, presenting a three-hour radio show, that can be interesting with no ad breaks. So the point is, I suppose the day, because I also do TV, the day I appear on Newsnight with a hot water bottle hunched over with how I really feel. Yeah, we know. But I, I'll give you a good example. I actually practised what I preached the other day. So... It was a few weeks back now, but at the Conservative Party conference, was just before the election was called, we didn't know it was going to be one. I was working on the Five Live show with two guys. I was having a really bad period. And I thought, oh, what, what did my book say about this? Because my brain's so addled right now. And I was trying to get my head, I was about to interview Liz Truss, a minister. And I just turned to them, I said, I'm really ill. Guys, I feel really, really ill. I'm going to be absolutely fine in this interview. It was a great interview in the end. You know, we got some good news lines out of it. It was very dynamic. Got parodied, actually. It was quite good fun. And I'm really ill. And they both looked at me and they went, what, what, what do we do? And I went, can I just have a coffee? Yeah, I'm can just I have a you know. really sugary coffee? I just want to let you know I'm not feeling well. But I don't want to go home. And yeah. I don't need to go home. I just want to tell you on a human level. And that was it. That's all it took. And they were just a bit nicer to mm. me that day. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So can we just move on to taking a stand on this as well? Because I think one thing I did when I was reading the book, there's multiple times when I was like going onto like Google or YouTube to look up things that you'd mentioned in the book. I think you talked about the first time that you'd spoken about this was like on this news panel show where you were sort of raised and you knew in advance that you were going to raise this as a topic and that it was just, it felt really awkward and you felt quite isolated in the conversation when you were talking about it. And I went and watched that particular thing. I'll link to everybody on YouTube to kind of see I think Rachel Johnson was there and people would say there was just lots of people who just looked a bit awkward while you were talking about it. Worse still, the YouTube comments in follow-up are just like very negative about the topic. Like the why do we need to talk about why why bring this up? Those sorts of comments that I think you've probably heard a lot and aren't particularly helpful. But I thought that what you did then and what you've done since, I think it's really brave to take a stand, particularly when that's not your job. Like you're not 
I don't know, a doctor who particularly thinks that this should be something that we're doing or someone, a wellness consultant, you know, you're a journalist and a broadcaster who probably doesn't talk about periods much in your day-to-day. Well, I do now. Yeah, I know, I know. It's not poor team. Paperback's coming out, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it even more. But the... What... No, it is different. It is different to what I do normally. I mean, I do host Women's Hour... I used to be the women's editor of The Telegraph. I have had a huge interest in women and our lives Mm. and unspoken things about our lives and taboos. I I really do have that interest. I write an agony aunt column for the Sunday Times magazine called Tough Love. I was reading it yesterday about friendship. Yeah. And so I, I am one of those people that does like to go where it's not easy to go with my journalism. However... I was very embarrassed that I didn't get diagnosed with the condition that I have, endometriosis, which is incredibly common. For people who don't know what it is, it's like when the womb cells, cells that are like the womb, should leave your body, the womb lining, and don't. So they stick to all your organs. A lot of women who have endometriosis can't conceive. I had to have IVF. And without going into all the detail of that, lots of it is obviously recorded in the book and elsewhere, I was so ashamed that I didn't know I had that condition and I hadn't advocated for myself strongly enough the the hallmark of it is severe pain and I would be nearly blacking out Mm -hmm. I I was having all sorts of issues and when I made that program on Sky News and I sort of said down the barrel of the lens I'm menstruating right now and it was a jumping off point to discuss whether we should have menstrual leave in this country I didn't know I had the condition and it was afterwards when loads of people got in touch with me after that clip and I thought it shouldn't be a big deal what I've just done but it seems to be and I seem to be the only one who's willing to look at this properly. And I started to think, like a woman stopped me in my local fruit and veg market who'd had to give up work because she has fibroids and downpours, so she had to take up shift work because she kept ruining her dress. Like various things kept happening. Men got in touch with me to say my wife really struggles, but she holds down her job fine, but she just has some issues. Just lots of things kept happening. And then I got diagnosed and found that one in ten women have this condition in the UK. I'm another one. So there Are you, go. you? Yeah, I've had an interview that's been treated for it. It's the pits, mm. but that it takes an average of seven years. But in my case, it's taken 20 years to diagnose. And I just felt ashamed, not shame, ashamed that I am someone who likes to get answers for a living and I'd failed. So I thought, well, hang on, if I can't sort myself out, there must be loads of people, not necessarily with a condition, who are walking around with a slightly substandard existence, as I say, once a month mm-hmm. in some way. So I just want to open this up. And I wrote it and I just researched it, found so many interesting stories and couldn't quite believe how many I'd never heard before because it isn't that often that you find things that haven't been written before and this hasn't. And I think it's a great untapped part of women's identity and our stories and the things that we silently go through. And for somebody who's listening that might feel equally passionate about something but something different who wants to take a stand but either isn't sure where to start or how to go about it or how to set themselves up so that even though they might face judgment or criticism or it might feel difficult is there anything that you have learned in the work that you've been doing and taking a stand on this subject that could help somebody else who might be about to do it too I think find other people's stories a lot of people come to something through their own experience that's completely understandable but once I started hearing other people's stories and also telling some of the stories I heard to other women and to other men their reaction was enough for me to sense check whether this was something to go bigger on Mm -hmm. and spend some of my time on you know and a significant amount of my time on making sure I could do those stories justice and bring them together and and some of them are some of the funniest stories that I've ever 
been told. And that's an absolute crime against humanity that we don't know those <laughs> yeah. things. Um, and so all I would say is, even if you're not a journalist, but you feel like it's something you want to do more on, I would get lots of other people's stories if you can. I'm not saying, you know, 100, but I'm talking like yeah. five or ten other people's accounts of the same thing or how they interpret the same thing will boost you. Yeah, and help you feel you're not alone and there's some momentum in it and there's a, a yeah. group of people that would benefit from it. I also think there's a few programmes I've been invited onto and some platforms I've been given because I'm a serious journalist. So because I cover politics, which is seen as a man's sport, and I've got a reputation for a certain style of interviewing of public figures and politicians and whatever else, the Archbishop of Canterbury or whoever's on the programme... I was allowed to talk about something that was deemed silly and sort of pink mm -hmm. and unimportant as periods mm. because then they could ask me about politics and Brexit. Okay. And so what I would say is, which has obviously been the major political thing of late, but what I would say that's been really interesting is sometimes we find ourselves put into a box and that's our identity and that's what we're expected to talk about. Like, everyone will expect you to always want to talk about careers. Mm -hmm. or, but you've got endometriosis. I didn't know that about yes. you. I'm sure there are plenty of other elements to your life that you may wish to bring to the fore at different points. And so I think don't let yourself get boxed in mm. to what people think you are because you are not only that thing and you are a human and there are many elements to your life. And I think having the the balls essentially to go and be different things at different points is really important to the whole human experience. Yeah. So I just want to end on another bit from the book, actually, which also talks very aptly about being human. So it's kind of a nice kind of build from what you just said there. And I think it's just a really good place to kind of summarise the conversation and end it and hopefully inspire people to go and be more human at work and take a stand, whatever that looks like for them. So these are Emma's words, not mine, but I shall read them. Lies are draining. Honesty to oneself and those around us always yields better results. We no longer have to be homogenous robots at work. We should be able to just be human. The best employers know this and the best bosses lead by example. And I thought it was just such a compelling way of thinking about why we want to do this. We just want to be more human at work. And that's really, I know it's about periods and I know that's important, but at the centre of it is just that kind of humanness at I, work. I think it is. And, you know, connecting with people, although what I just said about, you know, you, you are there to do a job. I think sometimes we can we can overplay the importance of a job as well, you know, to our whole identity. Well, a lot of people don't have jobs which create their identity or even improve their identity. They pay the bills. They just pay the bills. Yeah. But the friendships that you can make and the bonds you can have with people help you get through life. And you spend the majority of your life when working, working, mm -hmm. as in your working life, obviously not these very long retirements, so I, I hope that are ahead <laughs> of us. Then no, no, I'm joking. Good luck. Uh, exactly. That's not for our generation. But I think that the other thing I really wanted to say and and when we were emailing setting this up which you, you reminded me of is that someone came to one of my book talks at Waterstones and said oh you know my husband was going to come he's a massive fan of yours he listens to your radio show every day but then he learned what you'd written about and he said why is she written about that why is she not written about something more serious more important and those words stung me more than anything else on Twitter or YouTube or any of the comments because what I realised was that he didn't mean to, but he made me feel like I was speaking about something that was pathetic and not worthy of our time. And that's why lots of people, and in this instance women, get made to feel like their thing's not important and then they, without realising it, get silenced 
and retreat. And there's a study that I quote in the book from NHS England, which is like a ridiculous number of women are walking around with either sexual dysfunction, issues to do with urinating or issues to do with their period slash pain in the general gynecological area and they don't go and get it sorted out. I mean, that's not a quality of life. So I, I would really implore when you're thinking about being your whole self to also, you know, when you're working with people, whatever the scenario is, to not think that the thing that you've decided to dedicate some time to is not worth it. It it will genuinely be of use to you, if not somebody else. So I think it's really easy to be told what's important in life and then other things are deemed not important. Mm -hmm. But the people who've been making the decisions about what's important and what should get the microphone are changing now but they've been the same for so long yeah and it's it's almost so implicitly restrictive that we don't even realize it until it's we like, start to confront it well also take careers which is your passion i don't know what your career advice was like at school but you know we all had that awful test like go and be a funeral director <laughs> or a butcher i mean i was quite up for being a fishmonger at one point but that's a whole other conversation it's but, very squiggly but it was exactly, the, the, very the possibility squiggly. still there emma but career as a conversation is still not deemed worthy enough in schools. Yes, some schools are obviously going to now ring me and say they're doing loads of stuff or whatever. But actually the concept, until I was about 24, and it was a family member of my husband, who I've been with since we met at university, we were both at Nottingham, you and I have just learned. It was only someone older in his family who said to me, right, where do you want to get to and now work backwards? No one had ever said to me you could try and plot this thing called Mm. a job. So, you know, that hasn't been deemed important. You know, for the people it mattered, it was deemed as important, but they had nepotism in a network. Yeah, yes, that's very true. Well, now I feel like we're both on our missions to, yeah, we'll bring careers and taboo conversations out of the shadows. But there's so much taboo around career. I did a whole TEDx talk on this around ambition and women and, you know, ambition being a filthy word and, you know, haggling for, for a bit more money. You know, I remember getting a pay rise from from £19,000 on my first job to 21, and I was made to feel like I was the dirtiest hustler in London for trying to get two more thousand pounds, which effectively after tax and my student loan was about 50p. But my point was, all those feelings are, you you get told it's unseemly, it's un-British, it's not womanly to be ambitious. Well, I'm sorry, if it's not serious to talk about the lifeblood of life, literally, I don't know what fucking is. Yeah. Um, Emma, thank you so much. I know you've squeezed us in for this well, no, and I, I really appreciate it. I'm sorry it. that my, my life sometimes seems to be like that, but thank <laughs> you so much for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing the journey. Um, and everybody, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review, subscribe, all those things that are really important to podcasts reaching new people. If you've got any thoughts on future episodes or any thoughts or feedback on today's, you can send us an email at getintouch at amazingif.com. Thank you, everyone. We'll be back again with another podcast soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 